Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester's Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News, recorded on Thursday, October the 10th. I'm Sally Rowe and the team this week is Duncan Wynne, our engineer, and readers Janet Goodwin, Judith Doherty and Ian Rowe. Administration and copying is going to be done by Duncan and Judith. I would like to welcome any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some useful phone numbers, what's on at the local theatres. We have opened the birthday book and there are no birthdays this week. But if you have a birthday and would like us to wish you um, happy birthday, please let us know so we can add you to our book. We'll hear this week's headlines, the sunrise and sunset times and then... Um, any newsworthy and sporting stories from the last week. The obituaries and the thought for the week will follow the music at the end. So those of you who don't wish to hear that um, can finish their recording at the music. The service is free to users, but if you wish to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. And I would like to thank uh, Maisie Mountford, who has sent us a donation this week. That's very much appreciated. Thank you very much. We do like hearing from you, and a message can always be left on our answer phone on 01905 767766 or add a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return their memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you are unwell or you have a problem, please ring us on 767766 and leave a message explaining. So now uh, we will... I will hand you over to Judith for the headlines. Thank you. Uh, first headline, fobbed off. Then Steve, sorry, thief stole Oscar cash. Thank you all. Rallying round. Jail for gang of car thieves. Savage attack on homeless woman. And sunrise now is 7.25am and the sunset is 6.40pm. Thank you. And Janet's going to give us some useful phone numbers. Here in Wilds Lane is 01905 767766. Police non-emergency is 101. Worcester Hub. 01905 765 765 Worcester Hive 01905 611 427 Samaritans 116123 Malvern Theatres 01684 892277 and Non Emergency Helpline 111 And 
<coughs> now to move on to what's on. Uh, firstly, <coughs> excuse me, a fitting concert of song and dance is to be performed by Worcester Operatic and Dramatic Society, WADS, in memory of their longest serving member. Sonia Armstrong, who recently died aged 89, joined WADS 73 years ago, immediately after the war, and first appeared in the Desert Song, staged at the Theatre Royal Worcester. WADS is putting on the concert as a tribute to Mrs Armstrong and her loyalty and dedication to the society. It will be produced by David Humphreys, youth group WADES chairman and past present president of WADS, and the production team will include Sheila Boniface and Hattie Amos, WADS and WADES musical directors. Music will consist of songs that Mrs Armstrong performed as a leading lady and songs from WADS and WADES shows that won the NODA Best Musical Award for the region. WADS is staging the event at its rehearsal rooms in Northfield Street, Worcester, on November 15th, 16th and 17th, and is including many of the shows that Mrs Armstrong will be remembered for. Anybody interested, there is a contact number 01905-574-2206. Continuing with WADS for the next item, this time at the Swan Theatre in Worcester, uh, WADS is doing a production of Singing in the Rain. This is on Tuesday the 15th to Saturday the 19th of October. Evening performances will be at 7.30pm and there will be a Saturday, Saturday matinee at 2.30pm. Moving on to the Huntingdon Hall in Worcester, on Saturday the 12th of October there will be a performance of Strictly Nashville at 7.30pm and on Friday the 18th of October also at 7.30pm the Carpenter's Voice of the Heart uh, will be staged. Now moving to Malvern Theatres, um, there will be a production uh, of Murder, Margaret and Me. This is a play in which Agatha Christie turns sleuth, the play being by Philip Meeks. This will run from Tuesday the 8th to Saturday the 12th of October in the Festival Theatre. Evening performances at 7.30, matinees on Wednesday and Saturday at 2.30pm. <clears throat> on Monday the 14th to Saturday the 19th of October, again at Morven Festival Theatre, there will be a production of the hit Broadway and West End show Priscilla. This stars Strictly Come Dancing winner Joe McFadden. Priscilla is the hilarious adventure of three friends who hop aboard a battered old bus bound for the outback to put on the show of a lifetime. This will be on Monday to Thursday at 7.30pm, Friday 5pm and 8.30pm, Saturday 2.30pm and 7.30pm. Now, for those of you uh, who wish to entertain younger children, uh, this half-term, Wally, the world's favourite children's book character, 
wearing a red and white striped shirt and black trim specs, will be travelling the county, appearing in two museums, including a visit to Worcester's Tudor House Museum. Families will be able to join the search for Wally at the Friar Street venue as part of Where's Wally? Big Museum Hunt, organised by Walker Book, books and kids in museums to celebrate the release of the new book where's wally double trouble at the museum the event will run from saturday october the 12th until sunday november the 3rd tudor house museum will have a search and find trail giving families the chance to receive an i found wally sticker at the end and to enter the where's wally and Kids in the Museum's Grand Prize Draw. Tudor House Museum is open from Wednesday to Saturday, 10am to 4pm. And lastly, <clears throat> the Battle of Agincourt was one of the greatest English victories in the Hundred Years' War, and it was something to celebrate, unless you were a member of the French cavalry. Now, an engaging historian is to give a talk about the battle at Worcester's Huntington Hall. A spokesman said, join Max Keane for another of his lively and animated talks where he poses the question, was Agincourt England's finest three hours? Complete with armour, chain mail and weapons of the period, Max presents a recreation of the horror that was Agincourt and the hero that was King Henry V. The battle famously took place on October the 25th, 1415, St Crispin's Day, near Azincourt in northern France. Aided by ranks of longbow men, England's unexpected victory against a numerically superior French army boosted English morale and prestige, crippled France, and started a new period of English dominance in the war. The date for the diary is not St Crispin's Day, but October the 15th at 7.30pm. For tickets, call the box office on 01905 611 427 or go to worcesterlive.co.uk. Right, and now um, over to Judith for the first headline. Thank Thank you, Judith. Uh, A mum who was battered by an ex-lover and then allegedly told to go to the station by the police officer she approached for help has won a £1,000 payout from the force and the PC has been dismissed. Michelle Hutchings, 28, who works in Worcester, fled her Malvern home with her son after the attack, but spotted a marked police car by a Greg's bakery and asked PC Andrew Wright for help. But Michelle, who was clutching her young son to her chest, said she was directed to Malvern Police Station when she approached PC Wright, who told her that he would ring ahead on her behalf. Michelle said, I was shaken and upset and really wanted help, but he just told me to drive to the police station. When I got there, I pressed the intercom, but there was no answer, and I ended up hiding behind a nearby wall for 20 minutes 
as I was terrified that I would be tracked down and attacked again. The attack left me in fear for my life. I was bruised all over my body after he had ripped the wardrobe door off and threw me on the bed during the attack. I was very upset and distressed and my son was in shock. We desperately needed assistance and someone to look after us, but the officer wasn't too interested in helping. He told us, the best bet is to get yourself up to police, Malvern Police Station and I will let them know you are coming. I was really surprised that he wasn't prepared to accompany us to the police station, but I headed off there as instructed. It was terrifying just waiting. Following the incident on May the 21st, 2017, Michelle sought help from solicitor Emma, Emma Grantham of Russell & Co. in Malvern, who specialises in cases against the police, and the Malvern mum was paid £1,000 compensation by West Mercia Police. This is a clear case that demonstrates the police's failure to protect a member of the public, said Emma. There can be no doubt that the failure of the police caused Michelle to suffer significant distress and anxiety in a situation where she was already incredibly vulnerable. We are very pleased that the police have acknowledged their failings and we wish Michelle all the very best for the future. Michelle was absolutely terrified and in fear for her life, but PC Wright pretty much disregarded her vulnerability. We are delighted the police have settled this case out of court and the officer concerned has been dismissed without notice following a misconduct hearing. It was clear that this negligent, his negligence exacerbated Michelle's distress and anxiety, which needed to be considered as a matter of urgency. We are glad the case was settled without having to issue court proceedings, as this was a very clear breach of Michelle's right under Section 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights and Personal Injury. West Mercy Police wrote to Michelle via us saying PC Wright's dismissal was as a result of a number of allegations with the incident involving you, yourself being identified as the officer's worst failing. Regarding former PC Mr Wright, a spokesman for West Mercy Police said the officer was dismissed on September the 14th, 2018 after a gross misconduct hearing determined that a number of allegations against him were proven. We can confirm that the claim was settled by the police. West Mercia Police did thereafter arrest the perpetrator of the domestic violence, who later pleaded guilty to assaulting the victim and causing criminal damage to her property. Mr Wright has had served as a constable for 20 years. The allegations against him were that he failed to properly investigate and appropriately record incidents between May and July 2017. The public misconduct hearing took place between Tuesday, September the 11th and Friday, September the 14th in 2018 at the police's Hindlip base. It was conducted by Harry Ireland, an independent, legally qualified chair, 
and followed an investigation by the Professional Standards Department. The panel determined six allegations against the officer, which were proven. Superintendent Helena Bennett, head of the Professional Standards Department, said afterwards, The misconduct hearing found that the behaviour of PC Andrew Wright fell below the standards we expect from our officers and staff and amounted to a breach of the standards of honesty and integrity, duties and responsibilities, equality and diversity and discreditable conduct. This fell outside the expectations made clear in our Code of Ethics. A thief has been branded heartless scum by the owner of a city restaurant he's stolen Oscar Saxoby Lee donations tin from, containing £300. The CCTV image appears to show the thief swiping the money from Sophie's in Lowesmore while staff were away from the till. Five-year-old Oscar has been bravely battling T-cell acute limbo, sorry, lymphoblastic leukaemia since Christmas and his family are in a race against time to raise £500,000 for life-saving treatment. Sophie Wall, who owns the grill bar, said, I'm totally gutted there are some scum about. Sadly, some scumbag has stolen one of the tins, which was nearly full. She had initially displayed the donations tin to collect money for dying mum, Michelle Ives, who wants to make the most of her time she has left with her children. Friend Gaynor Cook placed ten tins around the town, including Sophie's. But after seeing Oscar's appeal, Mrs Ives selflessly decided to give any money collected to him instead. The mum of four... 45 from Littleworth, was diagnosed with melanoma 10 years ago and was in remission for five years, but was told that the cancer had returned and was at an advanced stage nearly three years ago. Although she has had more more than 50 tumours in her brain treated with radiation therapy, she has rejected further radiation because it poses massive risks. The donations tin was taken around 10.20pm on September 22nd, according to Miss Wall, who watched the CCTV following the incident. We were still open, she said, referring to the night of the theft. There were two members of staff. They were in the back washing up. Our front door is right by the till. He could just reach in and didn't even need to close the door first. She said she came into work the following day, a Monday, and noticed the tin was missing and initially called the cleaner to see if she'd moved it before studying the CCTV from 9pm. The tin had a picture of Michelle and her family, so he knew it was for her charity, she added. Oscar, of Pitmaston Primary School, was briefly cancer-free following a transplant in the summer before it returned. His parents, Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee, were raising funds to take him to Singapore for a CAR-T trial treatment. The... uh Next headline story remains um, on the subject of little Oscar. The parents of seriously ill schoolboy Oscar Saxelby Lee 
have said a heartfelt thank you to the people of Worcestershire after an appeal to pay for potentially life-saving cancer treatment for him reached £500,000. In a staggering show of community spirit, people from across this city and county raised the huge sum for five-year-old Oscar in just over three weeks. They stepped up with a slew of fundraising events after hearing the youngster was in a race against time to fund specialist treatment overseas for a rare form of leukaemia. Oscar's parents, Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee, announced the appeal has hit £500,000, saying they were thrilled. The couple added, We are absolutely gobsmacked with the amount of humbling support we have received since the word go. Over the last three weeks, we have watched the people of Worcestershire work together to raise this seemingly impossible amount of money. It has been heartwarming to see schools, businesses, individuals and even children giving all they can. We would like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Worcestershire. You are truly amazing. The couple had pleaded for help to raise the cash after being told that, despite a bone marrow transplant, Oscar's T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia had returned and no other treatment options were available on the NHS. They were told his only hope was to try expensive CAR T-cell therapy, currently only available in Singapore, and a second bone marrow transplant. Doctors say Oscar has only a short window in which he'll be strong enough to travel and undergo them. The appeal quickly gathered momentum with hundreds of donations online, others taking on sponsored challenges and organising events, and a push by local schools and businesses to hold fundraising Oscar Days. But despite its success, Oscar's parents have urged people to carry on supporting them, saying they need more help than ever. The couple from St John's Worcester said, Please do not stop fundraising. If you are holding an event or attending one, please still go ahead. £500,000 is enough to cover the treatment and care Oscar would require if all went to plan. Now we need to make sure that we have contingency funds available should Oscar need more care or have a more complicated recovery while there. As we all know, this journey hasn't gone smoothly, so we must be prepared for any additional hurdles. As you will have seen from Oscar's Facebook page, Oscar has needed to receive more treatment and have further tests done whilst we have been fundraising to keep his leukaemia at bay. Now we have the difficult bit, the waiting. The initial funds are ready. Oscar's medical team now need to wait for the results of his further tests, which determine the next steps. When the best treatment plan for Oscar is confirmed by his medical team, having this funding will allow us to move very quickly. Thank you so much to the people of Worcestershire and beyond for making this possible and once again doing everything in their power to help save our boy. Oscar's appeal was backed by the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, which has been collecting money on the family's behalf. Founder Dr Jen Kelly said, On behalf of the Trust, I would like to thank everyone 
that has supported Oscar's campaign in any way. In particular, mentioning the amazing team at Pitmaston Primary School, both the staff and parents who have gone to the most extraordinary lengths to make Oscar's huge campaign a reality. The Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust is very proud to have been able to play a key role in Oscar's campaign and we will continue to help support Oscar and other children affected by childhood cancer wherever possible. And then on Tuesday, continuing with Oscar, there's a rallying round how the people of Worcestershire came to the aid of Oscar Saxelby Lee. The appeal for Oscar Saxelby Lee raised a staggering £500,000 in just three weeks after the little boy stole the hearts of the community. And it became a real communal effort as fundraisers responded to his family's desperate hand-in-hand for Oscar campaign in their droves. The call for an Oscar day caught the imagination of schools and businesses to hold dress-up and dress-down days while there were cake sales and a change pot challenge was launched. Children emptied out their piggy banks to give money to the appeal, while businesses gave a day's takings and individuals took on physical challenges in an attempt to raise the money. Mums banded together to organise fun days and volunteers gave up their time to carry out bucket collections in supermarkets, at sports matches and service stations. Among the fundraisers was Sergeant Major Mark Wall of the two 114 Worcestershire Battery, the Royal Artillery, who completed the length of a marathon for seven consecutive days at Pitmaston Primary. Mainstay held an Oscar Day in their office in Worcester and raised £1,265.49. pence. Staff were encouraged to wear red, guess the balloons in the car and guess the number of sweets in the jar. Warren Leggett, Director of Warren's Removals and Storage in Worcester, donated a day's income to help Oscar, £2,186. Pitmaston Primary School Oscar Day raised over 2500 for their year one pupil. Fatima Kodak, owner of Café Bolero in St Nicholas Street, donated a whole day's takings to the Hand in Hand for Oscar campaign. Police have been helping to support the fundraisers wearing their home clothes to work on September the 27th in a bid to raise money for the five-year-old boy and will undertake a charity rugby match on Wednesday. Mike Painter, head at Cherry Orchard Primary School, braved the shave and raised money to support Oscar's treatment. Anthony Wilson and Tim Wood cycled more than a 1,000 miles to raise more than £10,000. Jess Milner, aged 11, and Scarlett Marlowe, aged 10, organised a bake sale over the weekend and raised £365. And the remaining 20 cupcakes that were left for sale were bought for £40 by a kind-hearted man. And that article is surrounded by photographs of all these wonderful people who have uh, fundraised for Oscar. A gang of balaclava-clad brothers burgled a Worcester home while a couple slept inside, stole their car keys and drove off in two expensive cars. Brothers Sean Cooper, Oliver Cooper and Lee Cooper 
together with an accomplice, Benjamin Wilson, were all jailed at Worcester Crown Court on Monday after admitting the professional car key burglary. The four men who hoped to make easy money out of the raid all admitted burglary at the home in Cartwright Avenue, Worcester on September the 28th last year and the theft of a BMW and Mercedes, the stolen cars driven off from the house in convoy. Wilson admitted a further charge of handling a stolen £52,000 Audi, which he crashed, leaving his DNA on the airbag, which allowed police to trace him. Lee Cooper, aged 18, of the Youth Custody Centre at Warrington Young Offender Institution, Oliver Cooper, 19, of the Young Offender Institution at Her Majesty's Prison Featherstone, and Sean Cooper, 20, of Sandon Road, Birmingham, and Benjamin Wilson, 24, of HMP Hewell, appeared together in the dock. Giles Nelson, prosecuting, said members of the gang entered the house through the back, snapping the lock before taking two sets of car keys from a handbag. The stolen BMW was valued at between £10,000 and £15,000 and the Mercedes at between £15,000 and £18,000. Mr Nelson said an address in Dale Road, Selly Oak, Birmingham was already under police observation at the time of the Worcester burglary. The defendants got into an Audi A1S line and travelled down the M5 shortly before midnight on Thursday, September the 27th. CCTV showed the car pulling into Cartwright Avenue in Worcester at 12.28am before men approached the house in dark-coloured clothing. At 12.48am, the stolen cars were driven off the drive both travelling in convoy north. Police contacted the owner of the two cars at 1.30am after the BMW failed to stop. The car's owners were unaware that they had been burgled, discovering the damage to the back door and their cars missing from the drive. The Audi was involved in a pursuit on September 30th last year, two days after the burglary, and false plates were found in the back. The Mercedes was recovered on October the 3rd on cloned plates when Wilson, Oliver and Lee Cooper were arrested at the scene of another burglary. The BMW was never recovered. Mr Nelson said the circumstances of this arrest were not dissimilar to this, the Worcester case, in that they were in balaclavas, an offence for which they were all serving custodial sentences. Sean Cooper was not involved in that attempted burglary. A car key burglary took place in Cavendish Close Mall, Mallbrook, Bromsgrove, involved, um, in, involved the theft of an Audi S line worth £52,000 at 3.45am on September the 9th last year. Again, the owners were present, considered an aggravating feature of the case. That evening, the Audi was involved in a chase, crashed and the airbag was deployed. Wilson was identified from DNA left on the airbag, but declined to be interviewed. 
This was the subject of handling charge against Wilson alone. Joseph Keating, for all four descendants, for all four defendants, said it was an opportunity for them to make easy money. Judge Robert Dukes QC jailed Wilson for 36 months and the Cooper brothers for 30 months each. For those already in prison, these new prison sentences will be concurrent to the ones they are already serving. A warning that this... um article contains some graphic descriptions. Sisters broke a disabled homeless woman's nose and eye socket during a savage attack after one of the pair mocked their victim for being a hunchback. Katie Thomason and younger sister Molly Thomason were jailed for inflicting grievous bodily harm at Worcester Crown Court on Tuesday. As they were sent to prison for the chilling attack in Worcester City Centre, one of the women screamed, I've got kids, as shrieks and wails erupted from the dock and public gallery forcing the judge to shout for silence. Kate Thomason, aged 24, of Selsey Close, Worcester, and Molly Thomason, aged 21, of Sheepscombe Drive, Worcester, claimed the victim had made an insulting comment about the cop debt death of Katie Thomason's child four years before, which provoked the attack. The victim, Jodie Gillett, was in hospital for two days after she was punched and kicked in the face in St Nicholas Street, Worcester. CCTV footage played to the court shows Katie Thomason with one hand held behind her back as she pretends to hobble along the street, walking in the middle of the road in clear imitation of the gait of a hunchback. The victim suffers from curvature of the spine and is homeless, the court heard. Raj Punia, prosecuting, said, You see the defendant, Katie Thomason, mimicking a hunchback. It's plain to see. Miss Bunier said the victim accepted she swore at Katie and called her a slag, but disputed making any reference to a dead baby in response to her mockery. She says Katie walked back towards her, walked straight up to her, grabbed her hair on the left side of her head before punching her three or four times on the left side of her face around the left eye, causing her to fall to the floor. She describes, while on the floor, that Katie kicks her several times around the head and shoulders, said Miss Punia. Molly Thomason then joined the attack, also kicking the victim to the head, as Miss Gellett shouted, Leave me alone! Pack it in! Please stop! However, that did not appear to have any effect, said Miss Punia. The CCTV shows a police officer chasing after the two women, part of a group of four or five other people, as they walk hurriedly along St Nicholas Street. The officer described finding the victim on the ground, covered in blood, and said she had suffered significant facial injuries. Miss Gillett knew Katie Thomason, the court heard. When arrested, both women gave no comment interviews to the police. Miss Gillett suffered extensive bruising and swelling to the left side of her face and left eye, a deviation, a fracture to her nose and a small fracture to the inner wall of her left eye. Katie Thomason had seven previous convictions for seven offences, including assaults. Her sister had no previous convictions. 
The attack at 4.45am on Saturday, March the 16th this year was deemed to be aggravated by the use of a shod foot and because it was a sustained and repeated assault. Barry Newton, who represented both sisters, said, I would say their contrition is genuine and their remorse is genuine. Mr Newton said the victim had since made a full recovery, but accept that it was the most serious of this type of events. He said it was out of character for Molly. Because of the alcohol she consumed, because of that trigger, she became violent for the first time in her life, said Mr Newton. He added that the case had caused the school cleaner, who also serves food at a hospital, anxiety and worry. She wept throughout the hearing, dabbing her eyes with a tissue. Judge Robert Jux, QC, said the attack had gone on for a considerable time. It would have seemed to her like forever, he said. He told the sisters that the ugliest part of this was that you knew of her disability and you mocked her for it. He told Katie that she had lost all self-control and Molly that she had seen the abuse and mockery her sister used. He jailed Katie Thomason for 30 months, two and a half years, and Molly Thomason for two years. Homeless people who choose not to sleep at Worcester hostels will now be given bedding from two city locations to keep them warm on the streets. City charities and organisations working together through the Worcester Cares Homeless Forum have launched a pilot scheme this month with the aim of improving and simplifying how they reach and help rough sleepers. Bedding will be offered from only two locations, Mag's Clothing Project and St Paul's Hostel, and staff there will record information about who takes bedding and pass it to the City Homeless Outreach Team, who can then keep a regular check on those people to ensure that they are safe. This initiative is launching alongside the new CCP Shelter for the Homeless based in the Salvation Army premises at the Trinity. Mel Kirk, Chief Executive of MAG, said, This is about joining up the safety net. For those who cannot or will not access shelters, and when there is absolutely no alternative for them, we want to make sure they are as safe as possible. She added, Organisations who give out bedding and do not inform street-based outreach teams or keep records increase the probability a rough sleeper will slip through the safety net. Worcester Care's Homeless Forum consulted widely before launching this scheme and soup kitchens have welcomed the move and will not give out bedding during the pilot period. Many city centre businesses support local homeless charities but some are unhappy with the abandonment of bedding, often with used hypodermic needles, in front of their fire exits. Phoebe Dawson, Chief Executive of Worcester BID, Business Improvement District, said, The Worcester City Centre businesses support soup kitchens and homeless charities, so we are not anti-homeless. They have a legitimate concern in running their business to keep customers and their staff safe. In addition to coordinating the provision of bedding, Worcester Cares has also produced a new information card which tells people how to get the bedding, 
lists the times and locations of the voluntary soup kitchens in the city, the opening hours of mags, and the telephone numbers of sources of support for rough sleepers. The cards are available through the BID to city centre businesses and through the police, the homeless charities and city centre churches to rough sleepers and volunteers who work with them. These cards are intended to help get accurate and up-to-date information to all who need it. The Church of England Diocese of Worcester has donated the costs of producing them. Bedding that is abandoned will be removed and the Homeless Forum is still investigating options for safe storage or disposal. Lloyd Griffiths, Director of Homes and Communities at Worcester City Council, welcomed the new bedding scheme. He said the City Council supports the trialling of this new approach and in particular the collaborative conversations that have taken place across a number of organisations, all of whom are seeking to support those who are rough sleeping or homeless. A judge has given the go-ahead for controversial plans to replace traditional pews with modern seating at one of the largest churches in the city centre, despite strong objections from conservation groups. A plan to replace traditional pews with 300 modern seats at the Grade 2 listed All Saints Church in Deansway was heavily criticised by conservation groups, including the Victorian Society, Historic Group, Historic England and the Georgian Group. The church said it wants to make the space to be used for other activities outside of church services. Charles Miners, Chancellor of the Diocese of Worcester, in his role as a judge of the Church of England's Consistory Court, which has to grant consent for such changes, has waived the opposition and allowed the refurbishment to go ahead. Chancellor Miners said, I am satisfied that the long-term interest of preserving the building, quite apart from ensuring the flourishing of the congregation, will best be served by letting it be used in a way that reflects the needs of today, rather than those of 130 years ago. I therefore conclude that the removal of pews and their replacement with modern chairs will not of itself be harmful to the overall significance of the church. I think it's likely that any harm that may arise to the character of the church as a building of special architectural or historic interest will be more than outweighed by the practical benefits arising from the proposed new scheme. Historic England said it was concerned the wholesale removal of the pews and the new seats would detract from the character of the inside of the building. The Reverend Rich Johnson, vicar of All Saints, said, we want to open up All Saints to the community and for it to be a venue for community. With the introduction of kitchen facilities and flexible seating, the unique and beautiful space of All Saints will become a versatile venue for children's groups, parties, banquets, concerts and conferences and more things we long to do. The Archdeacon of Worcester, Robert Jones, said, This is an exciting example of what the Church has done throughout the centuries adapting itself to meet the opportunities of today. I am sure the people of all saints will be encouraged by this decision as they seek to love God and serve their community here in the middle of Worcester. 
A city centre church is looking to help pay for the upkeep of its building by building four new apartments in a disused garage. The old building behind St George's Catholic Church, which is now used for storage, would be converted to make space for the new apartments. The application, put forward by the very Reverend Canon Brian McGinley, wants to make better use of a garage behind the Grade 2 listed church to help pay for running costs. The 190-year-old building is the city's largest Catholic church. A planning statement said, The overall effect is of a busy city centre church that has evolved over nearly 200 years and continues to change and adapt to the liturgical needs of a culturally diverse parish. As part of the commitment to the people of God and as the Mother Church of Worcestershire, there is an ever-present need for the buildings within the site to contribute to revenue costs if possible. The use of the old school building as garaging when there is an existing large car park on site clearly is not its best use. This scheme intends to bring a small amount of residential accommodation for rent with its ownership retained by the parish. The building, which has been used as a garage and for storage, was previously a school block. The new flats would not affect the church in Sanson Place in Worcester or the majority of the church site. The plans can be viewed via the planning section of Worcester City Council's website. Consultation ends on November the 6th. The application number is 19-00760-FUL. Jono Keto is in line to make his first appearance since returning to Worcester Warriors this summer when his side visits Wasps in the Premiership Cup on Saturday, 3pm. The scrum half has yet to play in blue and gold this term due to an adductor injury sustained in training three weeks ago. But Keto, who rejoined Warriors from New Zealand Club Northland, has now been passed fit and will be hoping to get a run-out at the Rico Arena. Experienced lock Anton Bresler is also poised to make his first outing of the season after recovering from an ankle problem. But centre Francois Vontier and back rower Matt Cox, who have been sidelined due to a calf injury and illness respectively, are likely to miss out this weekend despite returning to full training. It might be just a week too early for Francois, director of rugby, Alan Solomon said. He will do a unit session with the backs today and will train with the non-playing squad fully tomorrow. Matt will also join training today, but we won't consider him for this weekend as he has had no training. Quito has already represented Warriors, having made two appearances off the bench during his short loan spell at the club in September 2017. But Solomons, who joined Worcester a month later, said he was now looking forward to seeing the number nine in action himself after the Kiwi was highly recommended by an ex-Warriors boss, Gary Gold. Some of the other coaches have seen Jono because he was down here previously, Solomon said, but I have not seen him. He looked sharp in training on Tuesday and was really sharp before he got the injury. I'm really sorry for him, but these things happen. He is very well motivated and has trained really hard in pre-season. He should be 100%. 
Bresler made 25 appearances last term, 20 of those coming in the Gallagher Premiership, but the 31-year-old faces a battle to get into the second row with Michael Fatilofa and Graham and Andrew Kitchener all impressing. There is competition because I thought both of the Kitchen brothers, Kitchener brothers had superb games against Exeter. Then you have got Michael Anton and young Justin Clegg, who is just getting back into playing now, which is positive. He has trained and will hopefully have no ill effects from the session, so he should be fine. Solomons is also optimistic over the fitness of front row trio Ryan Bauer, Isaac Miller and Richard Polframan, who all sustained blows to the head in matches. We are pretty positive about Ryan and Isaac, Solomons said. They are following the protocol, so they should be fine. Rich has been practising all week, so he's fine. He went through the protocol. Uh, Moving on to basketball... Worcester Wolves maintained their unbeaten start to the season after a stirring 96-94 comeback win at Bristol Flyers. Any chance of success looked remote when Wolves gazed up at Bristol's commanding 60-38 lead five minutes into the second half. But a pulsating fight back closed the deficit to 82-76, entering the final minute. Consecutive three-pointers from Martin Buchknecht and Mark Hughes pushed the contest into overtime. Inspired by a never-say-die 35-point performance from Cortez Edwards, Worcester defied fatigue as players fouled out of the action to take the spoils and stay at the top of their BBL Cup pool. Coach Matt Newby said, To be competitive in this league, you need to be resilient in nature and show a strong self-awareness. I have asked players to be individually accountable and collectively responsible for outcomes. The last 15 minutes was a step towards that. I just kept encouraging them to focus on the next play and the team responded well. A pedestrian beginning saw over three minutes elapse before Wolves' first points from the field. Their continuing offensive struggles allowed Flyers to race to a 28-14 lead as as the second quarter opened. A 48-32 half-time advantage widened further before Worcester finally drew a line in the sand. A series of powerful layups from Jordan Williams featured in the turnaround. Bristol's Marcus Del Pesh was penalised with a technical foul for flopping in the face of a Hughes attack. The hosts' composure weakened as they were pressured into shot clock and backcourt violations. When Edwards was fouled as he drained a long-range shot, a rare four-point profit went into the books, narrowing the deficit to 64-59. Williams picked up his fifth foul to leave the court before the end of regulation time, and Raheem May Thompson was similarly dismissed as added time began. But the ongoing effervescence of the American duo of Edwards and Hughes was sufficient for their side to have the upper hand and secure the victory. 
Edwards posted nine rebounds and nine assists to sit alongside his substantial points haul. Hughes tallied 20 points, including five triples, while Bavknecht and Williams grabbed 18 apiece. Cortez was incredibly resolute, added Newby. By his own standards, he started slower than usual, but he came out punching in the second and was clutch in overtime. He was a catalyst when we needed him, but the unique contribution of each player was the determining factor. At different junctures, there were some huge plays across the board from the likes of Jordan, Martin and Mark, and that's exciting. Wolves will return to the University of Worcester Arena on Friday, 7.30pm, to welcome the joint leaders of their cup pool, London City Royals, who are spearheaded by Great Britain playmaker Andrew Lawrence. Royals are very much a hot topic, continued Newby. Andrew is simply a class act. He has had a really strong career in Europe and his game reflects higher learning. In short, I think he is one of the toughest individuals in the league. The Royals complement this all-star signing with quality in Will Neighbour, Ed Lucas, Orland Jackman, Will Saunders and Elvisi Dusher. This domestic core is very impressive and will present significant challenges in terms of match-ups. Kofi Josephs and Merrill Holden have been forced to sit out Wolves' last two matches through injury. Both are being monitored and we will have a better understanding of timelines for their return by midweek following assessment, explained Newby. And now some judo. A Worcester schoolboy won a silver medal representing England for the first time at the Commonwealth Judo Championships. Luke Kesey, 14, competed at the University of Wolverhampton in the over 73 kilogram category, which included champions from Cyprus and India. The Royal Grammar School Worcester pupil was the lightest competitor by far at 75 kilograms, with two opponents weighing in at more than 100 kilograms. But Kesey used his technical skills, mental fortitude and single-mindedness to his advantage. He fought valiantly in physically demanding circumstances throughout, eventually losing in the final to a Cypriot player who weighed 105 kilograms. Kesey's father, Paul, said, The entire journey of representing his country, training for the event and producing high-level performances on the day of the tournament are memories that I am sure will stand Lewick in good stead in the future. More than a 1,000 people competed during the five-day event with teams attending from as far as New Zealand, Australia and South Africa. RGS Worcester headmaster John Pitt said, It is fantastic that Lewick was able to represent England in judo and to achieve a silver medal in a superb achievement. Lewick is a real all-rounder and it is excellent that his ability in judo is being recognised at this level. Kesey is a member of the RGS Elite Athlete Development Programme and has also impressed rugby union within the Worcester Warriors Development Players Pathway. And now over to football. League chiefs say Worcester Raiders will not return to Clanes Lane this month and insist it is not practical or right to keep reversing fixtures. Raiders have yet to play at home since promotion to the West Midlands Regional League 
WMRL Premier Division due to delayed de redevelopment work being carried out by landlords Worcestershire FA. Saturday was supposed to signal a homecoming, but scheduled opponents Wolverhampton Casuals announced yesterday that the fixture had been postponed that had not been confirmed by raiders before Worcester News to press. Special dispensation from the National FA would allow raiders to operate without normal ground grading requirements until March 31, 2020, provided working floodlights, changing facilities and toilets for supporters are in place with any areas under construction sectioned off. But despite the lights appearing, there is no sign of the other temporary facilities Raiders had been due to install. The WMRL visited Clanes Lane earlier this week ahead of meeting with FA League's committee representatives, the people who now take responsibility for what happens next. We had to explain what we had seen and our take on it, said WMRL chairperson Wendy Juggins. The FA is now dealing with it and they will come back to us once they have decided what will happen. Asked about the next scheduled Raiders home fixture against Wem Town on Saturday, October the 26th, Juggins replied, October is a no-go. The game won't be played at Clanes Lane. Raiders have completed 10 of 34 league fixtures this season, with one being considered a home match after borrowing the ground of local rivals Pershaw Town to play them. The rest of the home games have been reversed, creating a cluster of matches back to at headquarters in the second half of the season that Juggins revealed the league would be against adding to. We have told the club and the league's committee that it is not practical or right to keep reversing fixtures, she added. They only have 17 away matches and have already played nine. It has, it, it has to be seen to be fair for everyone, particularly in a season with four promotion places. That said, we have to be guided by the league's committee and go with whatever it decides to do. Juggins indicated the WMRL hoped to hear back from the FA by the end of today, that's October the 10th, um, at the latest. The chairman of the league's committee said they would come back to us as quickly as they could after discussing the matter with Worcestershire FA and Worcester Raiders, she said. Raiders chairman Kevin Jenkins declined to comment. Worcestershire FA has been contacted for comment. The weekend is a time to relax and many people decide to have Sunday lunch out to save on cooking and washing up. We asked Worcester newsreaders to share their stories and tips about their choices of places to eat Sunday lunch in and around the city and this is what they told us. Ellie Louise Kilby said Mode Sports Bar has an amazing carvery. You get a super full plate for your money and the atmosphere is really chilled out and lovely. Definitely recommended. Sasha Dewhurst said Benedicto's Italian restaurant do an amazing Sunday lunch. 
Anna Marshall said the Alma Tavern, but you will need to pre-book to avoid disappointment. Felicity Regent said the Paul Pry, hands down winner for this one. Best roast, great selection of meats and absolutely banging Yorkshire puddings. Cassie Reader said Ostler's is superb and Hadley Bowling Green is also very good. Lisa Priest said the leaking well at Doverdale just outside Worcester. Rachel Brown said the Royal Oak in Broadboss has a wonderful roast dinner with gorgeous views of the hills. Steve Booth added the Royal Oak at Broadboss has epic food and the desserts are pretty awesome too. Marcia Hardman said the Mountain Stanton is worth the drive, the best roast ever. Mandy Jane Payne said the Defford Arms in Pershaw, it has just reopened under new management. Tamsin Stephanie said the Barnicote Red Lion in Powick. Holly Lane said the Checkers at Cutlaw Green is my favourite and the staff there are amazing. Diane Jones said the Old Bush in Callow End is simply the best. Paul Michael Wyatt said the Red Heart in Kingdon, traditional Sunday lunch, not a calvary. Barbie Hicks said the Old Cock in Droitwich loved their cauliflower cheese. Lucy Cosby said the Maple Leaf Pub in Canada Way, Worcester, is without doubt just awesome. Nicky Johnson said the Globe in Worcester. Parents in a neonatal unit will be able to read their baby's stories from new Kindles that have been donated by a company. The unit at Worcestershire Royal Hospital has been supported by Birmingham-based Triton Telecom following their appeal for help. The seven new tablets will allow parents to download and read stories to their babies and for soothing music to be played to comfort premature newborns. As father to three girls, supporting the neonatal unit is close to the heart of Triton Telecom's director, Dean Billington. Mr Billington has personal experience of having a baby in a neonatal ward and he remains grateful for and humbled by the care and support he and his family received. Mr Billington said, Several of my employees and I are parents, so when the rare opportunity to help such good cause came along, I jumped at it. Melanie Tinson, a neonatal unit staff nurse at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, said, We are all extremely grateful for any contribution we receive for the neonatal and transitional care units, big or small. The generous donation of these Kindles is greatly appreciated and they will be well used by the team and our families. The neonatal unit is now asking for donations of Amazon vouchers so they can purchase downloadable books and music files for the devices. The neonatal unit at Worcestershire Royal Hospital accepts babies from 28 weeks gestation and above, requiring intensive or high-dependency care. Triton Telecom was founded in Birmingham in 2011 after Dean realised his desire to create a customer-centric telecoms business. They provide a range of phone systems, connectivity, mobile and desktop technology and cabling solutions. A major new railway station is still on course to open by the end of the year as the final preparations are being made to make it ready for trains to stop. 
the final touches are being made to Worcestershire Parkway in time for it to open when the train timetable changes in mid-December. With construction work all but over, Worcestershire County Council is hoping a series of vigorous tests run smoothly so the station stays on course to open by the end of the year. Councillor Ken Pollock, Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure, said, I'm really pleased with the progress at the station site over the last few months. A huge effort continues to be made by all concerned to get us ready for the next phase. This next phase will be one of the most important and complex of the whole scheme, where numerous stakeholders, including the train operators and Network Rail, will come together with the aim of getting the station ready to open for public use. The County Council now appears to be reaching the final stop for the much-delayed project, which was first revealed more than a decade ago. Planning permission was granted in August 2015 and work was expected to start in 2016. The Council said the station would be built by early 2019 and then changed the finish date to later that summer. The building of the station finally started in early 2018 and the Council now hopes to stick to its revised end-of-the-year target. The new train station boasts 500 car parking spaces with room for expansion as well as electric car charging points, two bicycle shelters and parking space for motorcycles. Great Western Railway will decide how much car parking charges will be but are yet to set a final cost. Worcestershire County Council said it has told GWR that it does not want prices to be so expensive that it creates a barrier for passengers but the decision still lies with the railway company. The new station will also have retail space, which would also be out to let by GWR. Once up and running, passengers will be able to use GWR trains between Hereford, Worcester, Oxford and London Paddington, as well as cross-country trains between Cardiff and Nottingham. The trust running the county's hospitals must work harder to cut waiting times and ensure the public is travelling to the correct hospital for care as it prepares to move out of special measures for the first time in almost four years. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, admitted more needed to be done to ensure the public knew the most suitable place for treatment in the face of increasing demand overloaded emergency departments and the upcoming winter. He said, The challenge at A&E departments across the county is that people know that the lights are always on and the doors are always open and perhaps rather than waiting for a GP appointment for a day or two, people would rather go somewhere where they are going to be seen immediately. That is not always the right place to go. One of the things that we need to be better at is when one of the three main hospital sites in the county is experiencing greater demand, that members of the public know that actually it would be quicker to get the problem sorted somewhere else. He said it would be much quicker and better for some patients to travel to a minor injuries unit in Kidderminster than it would be to sit for eight hours in A&E in Worcester. But we do need an honest conversation with the public that the resources, either money 
or staffing are not there for you to have everything you might want at the end of your street, he told councillors at a health and overview scrutiny meeting at County Hall on Tuesday, October the 8th. And we need to be able to demonstrate to the people of Worcestershire that the service you get when you go to the one place that provides that the care is good. If you're travelling further and it's not very good, that is not great. If you're travelling a bit further but you're getting the care that meets your needs and is rated good, then perhaps that is the deal, isn't it? Care Quality Commission, CQC, inspectors recommended the trust running the county's hospitals should move out of special measures, but only after a support package between inspectors, the NHS and the hospital's other partners, including bosses at Worcestershire County Council, West Midlands Ambulance Service and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust, is agreed. Hospital Trust bosses are currently finalising plans for the support package in time for a final decision in November. The Trust said it is also trying to speed up discharging patients by installing an electronic prescription system at some point next year to replace the slow and clunky written system currently in place. The Trust's chief executive said... The aim was to get patients leaving wards and picking up medication within two hours. Mr Hopkins said the Trust could also speed up the process by ensuring trainee junior doctors could prescribe the medication that patients are likely to need before leaving the hospital. He said, We know there are a number of things that we can do differently and better, but fundamentally... It is still going to take a couple of hours overall to get a patient home after a decision has been taken. West Midlands Ambulance Service will also take over the running of the NHS 111 service from November, a move that will be of great benefit to the Hospital Trust, Mr Hopkins said. He said it is unlikely there will be a massive impact until probably the early New Year, but our hope and their ambition is to reduce from the 13% of calls that get an ambulance down to the national average, which is between 7 and 8%. The sooner they can do that, the better it will be for my hospitals, because we'll be receiving the patients we should be receiving, rather than perhaps some that could be managed in a different way. Hundreds more blind and partially sighted people will be given practical help and support thanks to Worcestershire Freemasons. A £15,000 grant to sight concern by the Freemasons will help the rising numbers of people facing a diagnosis of sight loss to turn to sight concern for advice, reassurance and assistance in rebuilding their lives. They also help with digital technology. Digital technology can help people with sight loss overcome some of their daily challenges and enable people to remain independent and lead more active lives as part of their local community. 
Among the other services the charity provides are sight loss advisors who assist people to adapt to sight loss, low vision clinics to help make the most of any remaining sight, sight loss awareness practical training on how to assist visually impaired people, and sight loss support groups and befriending services. Recently, Sight Concern were contact- contacted by client Jill, who was struggling with accessing bills and reading the small print. They helped her set up a smartphone, showed her how to install specialist applications like Be My Eyes and Seeing A1, and she was thrilled to be able to perform daily tasks like online shopping. Another client, Mike, was given special assistance to use email. There are an estimated 7,520 blind and partially sighted people in Worcestershire. Last year, Sight Concern supported over 1,500 of them. The grant from Worcestershire Freemasons comes through the Masonic Charitable Foundation, which is funded by Freemasons and their friends and families. Jenny Gage, Sight Concern's Chief Executive Officer, said, We are very grateful to Worcester Freemasons for their generous grant, which will provide crucial support for sight concerns work with blind and partially sighted people. Jonathan Swift, Worcestershire Freemasons, said, We're very pleased to be able to support sight concerns' hugely important work with blind and partially sighted people. There are thousands of people in Worcestershire alone who live with sight loss. They can benefit greatly from sight concerns' help and support to overcome the challenges they face. The opening of a new 24-hour city emergency homeless shelter has been delayed with recruitment of staff taking longer than expected, the council has said. The Somewhere Safe to Stay centre was due to open last month, but this has been pushed back to November and will now coincide with the cold winter months, a Worcester City Council spokesman has confirmed. The facility at the Salvation Army in the Trinity will provide year-round accommodation for six rough sleepers and has been made possible by a grant from the government's Rapid Housing Pathway Fund. In addition to the new centre, the number of emergency night shelters in the county will rise from two to five this winter in line with Worcestershire's Severe Weather Emergency Protocol, SWEP. These will open any night when the temperature is predicted to drop to zero or below and will will be based in Morven, Evesham, Kidderminster and Redditch. Homelessness campaigner Hugo Sugg has criticised the finance management of the new 24-hour shelter with central overheads at close to £30,000 while staff salaries amount to £175,000. The government grant was £242,000 and with the current number of rough sleepers in the city understood to be 24, just a quarter of the shelter's capacity, Mr Sugg believes the money could have been used more efficiently. The founder of Hugo's earthquake campaign said he and his colleagues were shocked to hear about the extent of back office costs being spent on facility for just six people. These include utility charges and overheads, nothing to support the six rough sleepers who can stay there a night. 
What about the other 18, he added. The city council spokesman described the new city shelter as a very positive step forward, meaning Worcester will be better equipped than ever to give rapid and intensive support to get rough sleepers off the streets. They said recruitment for the eight members of staff was completed slightly later than originally intended, but said it was important to take time to find the right staff with strong experience in the field. Referring to Mr Sugg's criticisms of the financial management of the scheme, the spokesman said planned expenditure was assessed against stringent criteria as part of the original bid. The centre will be run by Charity Caring for Communities and People. A councillor has criticised a polling station review which proposes using four additional city schools for future elections. Worcester City Council is proposing adding Dines Green, Nunnery Wood, Aldbury Park and Cherry Orchard Primary Schools to replace stations deemed no longer suitable. Richard Uddle, who represents St John's Ward, said, We should not be closing schools and disrupting education for an election. As part of the Council's polling station review, which is required by law every five years, Dines Green Academy has been proposed as a replacement for the Green Centre for the electorate in District K3. However, those in Districts K1 and K2 would continue as normal. The returning officer said the school's closer proximity to the majority of the electorate is the main reason for the potential change, according to the report. However, Councillor Udall said, I can't see a reason to disrupt the school. The facilities at the centre are perfectly fine and not causing a problem. If there's absolutely no alternative, then consider it. But there is an alternative, he added. Meanwhile, Worcester MP Robin Walker has praised the new tenants of the recently reopened Alma Tavern for agreeing to be a polling station for St Stephen Ward to avoid using Purdeswell Primary School. Mr Walker had written to the council to find an alternative to the school after meeting with the head teacher Rachel Hughes last year. He said he was thrilled the pub had agreed get on board due to the previous station causing challenges for teachers and parents alike. A council spokesman said the law states a station must be within the polling district unless no accessible building is available and easy to reach and to navigate for voters with disabilities. The returning officer is entitled to use schools maintained or assisted by local authorities as well as schools that receive grants directly from general government, they added. A public consultation ends on Thursday with the review to be considered by full council on November the 19th. A transgender group has been created to support the trans community and prevent them from feeling isolated. Out Together, which is an LGBT charity in Worcester, has formed a new peer support group, Transgender. Nicola Longworth-Cook, founder of the charity, said it's a social and peer support group for adults who identify as part of the wide range of gender identities under the trans umbrella. Support groups like this are important to help put people in contact 
with a network of friends and stop them from feeling isolated. Trans people are often subjected to hate crimes, be it low-level daily microaggressions like misgendering or threats of physical violence. These will erode your self-confidence and can lead to poor mental health. We have lots of new members and our social gatherings are growing. Next year, we want to start Out Together Purple, a social group for older LGBT people and an LGBT youth group in Worcester. An LGBT book club at The Hive in Worcester has also been introduced and an LGBT youth group in Malvern. On October the 12th and 13th, Cosmetics Store Lush will be hosting a charity pot party for the group in its Worcester store. There will be an information store where people can chat to volunteers and also bath bomb making workshops from 12 to 2pm. All proceeds raised from the sale over the weekend will be donated to Out Together. If anyone is interested or would like information about the groups, then contact outtogether.worcester at gmail.com. A city hospice is highlighting the work it does to give care to patients and families. Some 55 nurses, 19 shops, 628 regular givers, 15,000 pints of milk and more than 132,000 hours of volunteer time. This is just some of what it takes St Richard's Hospice to provide care to patients and families. And it is just a fraction of the resources needed for St Richard's Hospice to run its varied services across Worcestershire. Hospice Care Week, a national campaign, runs this week. And this year the theme is, this is what it takes. St Richard's will join more than 200 UK hospices to take part in the campaign, giving a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into running a hospice and raising awareness of the funding and resources needed to deliver its care. June Patel, Chief Executive, said the care we and hospices around the country provide extends beyond medical care. We offer services including bereavement counselling, art and horticultural therapy, hospice care in the home and much, much more. We couldn't provide our care without the support of a wide range of people carrying out a vast array of duties, from laundering hundreds of towels towels, to make thousands of cups of tea each year. And of course, none of it would be possible without the incredible support of our community raising money to fund our services. Each contribution helps create the bigger picture of our care. We're so grateful to each and every person who helps us be there for patients and loved ones when they need us most. St Richard's is an independent charity and relies on donations and gifts in wills for the majority of its income, with 20% funded by the NHS. During Hospice Care Week, St Richard's will hold its first mass collection weekend from October the 11th to the 13th. The weekend will see volunteers out across the county appealing for spare change to help fund the hospice's services.
West Mercia Police is failing to record thousands of crimes each year, inspectors have warned. Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion admitted there is room for improvement after the latest crime data integrity report showed more than 8,900 reported crimes were not being taken down each year. He said he would continue to hold the Chief Constable to account to ensure all victims get the efficient and effective service they deserve. The report, compiled by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Services, HMICFRS, said the force is specifically failing to report 12% of violent crime, amounting to 4,200 cases. It was told to immediately improve how it records the likes of harassment, stalking, coercive and controlling behaviour and domestic abuse, as well as modern slavery. But despite the failings, the report detailed how the force had improved on its last inspection in 2014, retaining its good rating with more than 90% of crimes still being recorded accurately. The HMICFRS was particularly impressed with West Mercia's introduction of a centralised crime bureau to assess every incident and crime record. The report outlined how the forces succeeding in recording crime against the most vulnerable, ensuring safeguarding and support for victims, such as through the PCC-funded Victim Advice Line. Mr Campion said the findings are in all great news for victims of crime and a testament to the officers and staff for their diligent work. There is, however, room for improvement, particularly around the recording of particular crime types, such as violent crime, and the timeliness of crime recording, ensuring victims get the help and support to help cope and recover as quickly as possible, he said. Assistant Chief Constable Jeff Wessel added that the force would be looking to implement the recommendations in the report. He said they would also ensure staff are equipped with the right tools to protect the most vulnerable. The police watchdog reviewed three other forces, including Essex, which was found to be failing to record around 6,700 crimes each year, with 2,500 reports of violence not being properly tracked. A retired cashier who sold wine in the city has turned a 100. Alwyn Turner worked at Malpass Stallard, a wine merchant's in Fish Street, Worcester, for 40 years. Mrs Turner now lives at Bedwardine House Care Home in Rushwick. Victoria Lavender Mew, proprietor and care manager of Bedwardine House, described Mrs Turner as a model resident. Mrs Lavender Mew said, Mrs Turner joined us in May 2016. She has always had a happy and lively personality, laughing and joking with staff and other residents and also joining in the daily activities. She loved having visits to our in-house hairdresser. Although now confined to her bed, she still shares a joke with her carers and was delighted with the birthday decorations, cards, birthday cake and visitors on the day. Mr Turner kept in contact for a long time with Jeannie and Michael, who were her bosses. In her career, Mrs Turner also worked at LF Woods as a bookkeeper.
Mrs Turner eventually retired completely aged 94 after returning to work as a bookkeeper for a few years. She was born in Coventry on October 2, 1919. She married Harry Turner on March 20, 1953 in St John's Church. Harry passed away many years later in hospital from a long illness. Mrs Turner loved to travel when younger. She went to California with her niece and they visited Palm Springs and Las Vegas. She's also travelled to France and Austria. Two years after retiring, Mrs Turner decided to go into a care home. She went to Bedwardine House for two weeks respite but then decided to stay. Her niece, Anne Coles, said, My aunt could not have been looked after at a better place than Bedwardine House. She's always saying how well she's looked after. A pensioner is over the moon after a group of kind-hearted traders offered to install her new bathroom for free in light of Kitchen World going into liquidation. Louise Hammond was told it was unlikely she would get her £1,500 deposit back, paid via cheque, just weeks before the Worcester firm went bust this month. The 66-year-old has been diagnosed with left ventricle dysfunction and was quoted £9,000 by the Henwick Road-based installers to make desperately needed changes in her home to ease her suffering. The group of tradesmen from around Worcestershire have been assembled by a developer with all wishing to remain anonymous. At the end of the day, someone needed to step in because she has got an illness and needs this work doing, said the developer from Malvern. Everyone I asked to get involved said yes immediately and it's something they wanted to do and no one wants an, anything for themselves. We all said we could... Um, th- We all said that could be our mum. The generous developer has donated £2,000, while a building firm has put up £1,000, which they hope will cover the costs of the parts, with a plumber, tiler and electrician happy to give up their time for nothing. The time people are giving is the same as money for them. They could be losing hundreds of pounds, he said. The developer went on to say he was inspired in part by the community spirit shown for Oscar Saxelby Lee, five, whose parents raised £500,000 in three weeks to pay for life-saving treatment to tackle his T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. He said he also has sympathy for the owners and staff at Kitchen World, which has been in the city for nearly 50 years. It's hard for the people going bust. No one chooses to go bust, he said. Mrs Hammond from Kidderminster has criticised the company for continuing to take deposits from customers before going into voluntary liquidation last week. No one goes out of business overnight, she said. Hayley Sherwood, a director of Kitchen World, said going into liquidation was only decided two weeks before and was not taken lightly. She added, we took deposits in the hope we could carry on. Referring to the tradesman's kindness, Mrs Hammond added, Some good has come out of this evil. And that brings us to the end of this week's news. The obituaries and thought for the day will continue on after the music. So it just remains for me to say goodbye and thank you to our readers and have a good week. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
The thought for the day this week is from Psalms 96, verses 4 to 6. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Betty Seabridge passed away peacefully in hospital on September the 14th, surrounded by her devoted family. A funeral service will take place at St Mark's Church, Cherry Orchard, on Tuesday, October the 15th at 11am, followed by an internment at Astwood Cemetery. Flowers or donations for St Mark's Church may be sent to A.V. Brand, St Nicholas Street, Worcester. John Lewis of Hallow passed away peacefully in hospital on September the 18th, aged 77. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, October the 18th at 1.45. At the request of the family, please do not wear black attire. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Dogs Trust may be left at the crematorium or sent to the Bedwardine Funeral Services. Winifred Grace Webb, known as Una, passed away peacefully on September the 21st, aged 83. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, October the 11th at 11.30. Family flowers only with donations to Parkinson's UK sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, Bromyard Road, Worcester. Norman Keith Kenneth Long passed away peacefully on September the 23rd, age 68. A loving father, granddad and dear friend. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, October the 15th at 1.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for a charity close to Norman's heart may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Dalphine Alwyn Hill passed away at home on September the 23rd, aged 74. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, October the 15th at 11.30am. All welcome. Family flowers only with donations welcomed to St Richard's Hospice to be sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, Bromyard Road. William Pitt, known as Bill, age 63, passed away sadly after a short illness on Thursday the 26th of September. A service to commemorate Bill's life will take place at Redditch Crematorium on Wednesday the 16th of October at 11am. Family flowers only please. Donations, if so desired, to the Royal British Legion may be sent to Thomas Brothers, Birchfield House, Redditch. Stephen Rogers, known as Steve, ex Heenans, passed away peacefully on Saturday, September the 28th, age 90. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, October the 17th at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Norton Hall Care Home may be left in the collection box available at the service. Inquiries to the Co-op Funeral Care. Betty Eleanor Mead, 
peacefully on September the 28th, aged 98. She will be missed by all who knew her. Thanksgiving service at St Andrew's Methodist Church, Pump Street, on Monday, October the 14th at 1.30. Donations for Midlands Air Ambulance Charity may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury Funeral Directors, Upper Housel Road, Malvern. Robert James Taysom, known as Jim, retired employee of Worcester Post Office, formerly of Pinvin, passed away peacefully at Latimer Court, Worcester, on September the 29th, aged 99. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, October the 10th at 3.15. Thursday, sorry, Thursday, October the 10th at 3.15. Family flowers by request, please. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. And finally, Len Drinkwater passed away on September the 29th, aged 79. Greatly missed. Funeral service at St Clement's Church, Worcester, on Tuesday, October the 15th at 1.15pm, followed by a burial at St John's Cemetery. All flowers and inquiries to Bedwardine Funeral Services. And our thoughts and prayers go with all those families who have lost loved ones. Mm. 